What's going on, everybody? This is Ezra McNeil once again, and this is the fifth episode of Real Talk with Ezra. Now, today, this episode is very imperative and vital for the students of Virginia State to, and, you know, students all around to listen to because we're talking about domestic violence. Now, on Virginia State's campus, there have been some incidents uh, that have occur- been occurring lately that uh, really needs to be talked about because, you know, lives are at stake um, and people are in relationships and such, you know, getting that facade of someone that um, is a caring person, but behind closed doors, they're just a different animal. Um, So today we have two special guests, and um, if you just want to introduce yourself. Hi, y'all. I'm Kathleen Braxton, the Vox Prevention Coordinator here at Virginia State University, and my office is the Office of Student Conduct. And we have another special guest, but she's very special. She doesn't need introduction. So we're just going to get right into it. So, according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, the definition of domestic violence is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or other abuse, abusive behavior as part of a systematic pattern of power and control perpetrated by one intimidated partner against another. Now, this also includes physical violence, sexual violence, threats, and emotional and phys- psychological abuse. Now, Ms. Braxton. I would like to add financial as well. Because mm. financial abuse is huge. Um, where you're thinking of individuals who maybe not financially is able to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And they meet an individual that have that financial ability to assist. In the beginning, it's called they're helping them. Mm. And then next thing you know, they're controlling them. Okay. Um, so we have that on campus as well. Um, you guys have things that you use as your Trojan One card, mm-hmm. that money is on that. We have students who the abuser is given a Trojan One card to the person they're being, uh, being abused by, and they're dictating when they eat, they're dictating when they're able to swipe, they're dictating when they're able to use their Trojan dollars wow. on campus. So I would like to add um, financial abuse to your, your spill. Oh, wow. That, I didn't even think about it like that. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, I mean, how... The first question I want to ask is how do you, you know, um, catch these signs or uh, red flags before, you know, the the trauma starts to happen? Red flags is kind of unique to each individual person. Mm-hmm. So... Um, for example, if I'm a young lady who maybe did not have that strong male in their household, so I'm looking for that love, I'm looking for um, the acceptance from someone, and then I find that perfect, in their eyes, the Prince Charming of the person, and he gives that to them. Right. Uh, one thing about you guys' generation, and including mine, we talk a lot. So we kind of let people know what we're missing mm-hmm. in our life. And if you are a person who's manip- going to manipulate the situation, you're going to use that to your advantage to have the, the control over it. So your red flag can be um, he it becomes your only friend. Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning when y'all met, you isolation. had t- isolation. You had 10, 15 friends, and now he's the only one. Mm-hmm. He tells you... Um, no one else cares about you but me. 
I'm the only one going to be there. And I'm saying he, and I don't want to say he because women do it too. Right. Okay. Um, it can be isolation. It can be, um, I said about the financial abuse. I'm not going to give you money. Um, it can be, give me, I need you. I need, yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Trying to like guilt trip you into thinking that, you know, something is wrong with them and they need your support, your right. love, and only you can help them get through whatever it is that they may be going so through. So it's like certain partners try and make a sob story. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and play the game because they, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they just want to make seem vulnerable and and honest, although it's like a, a sheep in wolf's clothing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The whole time they're just manipulating you and slowly but surely controlling you. And as far as like red flags, a lot of red flags you don't even see until after you get out of if you get out of the situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Some people don't make it out, but those who are fortunate to make it out, you look back at the situation and you dissect it and you see like, oh, okay, this was a red flag, but I completely missed that. Mm-hmm. Like um, for my situation, um, it started with verbal abuse. At first, you know, this person was, you know, very nice, very charming. That's usually how they come, whether it's a man or a woman. They're super charming. And they just, you know, kind of sweep you off your feet type thing. Um, They get to know you, get to know what you like, what you dislike. And they slowly start to use those particular things against you to slowly control you. And you really don't realize it because you're in this situation. You have, like, that tunnel vision. You can't really see what's, like, on the outside. So um, it starts that way. They're, you know, like I said, super charming. And then it goes towards the verbal, you know, little stuff like calling you out your name or cursing at you a lot more than, you know, they've done before. Yeah, done before. So then um, once it moves past that, it usually goes into like um, either like uh, for me, it was like a grab. And it's like, okay, well, chill, what are you doing? Oh, I didn't mean it like that. That that's a lot. A lot of times, that's what abusers will say. No, I didn't mean it like that. I'm sorry. They love you know saying that to kind of get you back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, then for me, after that, it came like you know really forceful, like pushing or hitting, and then it's like okay, I think we need some time apart. At first, they'll let you, you know, take your time apart, quote unquote. But then eventually, they'll come, you know, with the sob, you know, apology. I'm so sorry, it'll never happen again. Mm-hmm. That's a very common phrase that they'll use. It'll never happen again. Odds are it's going to happen again. Because people like that just love to be in control and in power. So um, for my situation, the very first time, I, I was called a bitch. And it was like, you know, you kind of sit back and you look. And it's like, you don't really... You, you talk yourself a lot of times into thinking it's really not that big of a deal mm-hmm. when the whole time it is, it is. a big deal. Right. Like someone is disrespecting you blatantly and they're supposed to care about you. How can mm-hmm. they love you, mm-hmm. but they're just going to call you out your name and mm-hmm. do these exactly. things? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. So then um, after that, you know, it stops for a little bit and then they escalate it a little more to see how much they can do, mm-hmm. you know, Pushing your buttons. Yeah, pushing your buttons. Mm -hmm. So, um, for me, the very first time, like, he put his hands on me, it was because I had cooked the night before. And it was the very next day. He didn't want that that I had cooked. And it was just like, 
but I just cooked. And there was so much food still left over, but he had roommates. So, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, cool. Not thinking anything of it. Someone else will eat it in the house. So the food did not get done fast enough. You know, they, they love putting you on a time scale, their time scale. Mm-hmm. If you don't do something that they think takes the amount of time that they think it should take, then that's a problem. So next thing I know, you know, food is finally done. I didn't even know, you know, he's cooking in his room. Like, his anger is just, you know, cooking up. Mm. Couldn't even tell because, you know, he's just in the room and I'm in the kitchen. So I sit down, you know, I fix my plate and I'm eating. Next thing I know, my plate is out of my hands. And it's like, it came so fast. It happened so fast. Now, so was this, um, you, you said he has roommates. The roommates weren't in the house. No, they they're there. They oh, just because yeah. eventually they learn the roommate is okay with. They're not okay with it, but they don't know how to correct the behavior because that's my friend, and they're thinking like maybe she done something yep. for him to. They act start to that blame way. the victim, right? Oh. So they maybe they. It, well, she keeps coming back, right. so it must be she okay. must like that, you, you know. Right. And it's it's not even that. In my case, mm-hmm. um, I would run away because I had my own apartment. We stayed in the same apartment complex, and mm-hmm. this was at my old school. I would run away, and I say it like that because literally that's what I would have to do. Mm-hmm. And I would lock myself in my apartment for days and weeks at a time just to get like some type of break. And he would wait until my roommates would leave to gain access to my house. And I would come out, and he would be just sitting in the living room. And it's like, oh, okay, here we go again. And I would end up back at his apartment. A lot of times, um, he would drag me by my hair, like, through the apartment complex. People would see it. They wouldn't say anything. Um, one instance, he body slammed me on concrete. His roommate was looking out the window, like, because I looked up. His roommate was looking out the window, and he was laughing. thought it was funny. So... Um, to backtrack to the uh, first instance, um, playing on the floor. I'm on the floor. My face is on the floor, and he's you know cursing me out, telling me I should know better, you know things like that. I I should have fixed his plate. Like why didn't I fix his plate before? But that's not something that crosses your mind because it's just like you know you're in college, mm-hmm. two students. I could, boy, come fix your plate. Like it's not that big of a deal. You know we're not married, so it's not like one of those things that crosses your mind at first. So then he starts conditioning me to think that okay, it was my job and my duty to take care of him as if I was you know his mother or something. So um, fast track through that, um, it escalated to the next level where instead of you know just that little push and you know face kind of in the rug like you know animal type thing. It was um an instance where we were in his room and all his friends were over like the house was like jam-packed with his friends and a couple of you know people that were my friends as well and we were supposed to be getting ready to go out but I can't even remember what I did to make him mad. I just remember like hands around my neck, my shirt is torn and like I'm screaming like I'm literally screaming to the top of my lungs and finally, like, they get the door open. They're like, yo, what's good? What y'all doing? You know, da-da-da. So I grab my stuff, and I try to go home. Of course, he comes after me. He follows me home. And we end up at my house for the next couple of weeks. Um, this person started to control my life so much that I began to miss classes. Um, and I began to miss classes not only because he did not want me to go, but simply because he would pin me down from, like, 
sometimes six, seven, eight o'clock at night, all the way up until nine o'clock the next morning. Like literally, I'm trying to fight him off of me the whole night. Um, he would grab me like by my chin and by my neck and like, you know, trying to turn my face. So I would look at him and it's, it was just like a constant ongoing like battle the whole night. He would grab my arms and, you know, dig his like fingers and hands into my arms. And, you know, that's how he would pin me down, take his legs and, you know, pin my legs down. And if we did end up, you know, falling asleep, he would put like his leg around me or his arm around me so if I did yeah so if I did move he would know and he would like tighten his grip so it was just little stuff like that um I actually began to have like a permanent bruise um around my chin and on my arms so like um I'm I've never been the type to wear makeup i not to brag, but I really don't, you know, have to. It's just not. <laughs> no, seriously, I say that very humbly. It's just never been my thing to wear makeup. Even when I danced, I didn't really have to wear makeup because of my complexion, how right. it just, you know, was. But um, <laughs> I actually had to start wearing makeup, um, a lot of makeup, black eyes constantly. Um, I know there was one instance where, oh, backtrack real quick. Sorry, guys. Um he also got so controlling that um, he only lived like 45 minutes away from where we went to school. And I lived 45 minutes back the other way from where we went to school. But it got so bad that on the weekends he would go home. He would pack a bag for me and make me go home with him. And if I tried to combat or fight. And his his mom and aunt, they knew what was going on. They did. Really? Like, so, so my question is, you was dating this guy. Mm-hmm. Did any time he talk about his past behavior? Because to me, this, what he has done to you, he did to you, it was a learned behavior. Yes. Or he was, um, he's seen maybe his dad do it, his mom do it. So, because the, the key word to me when you said that I had to fix his plate as if I was his wife or I was his mother. So, mom could have been that person who fixed the plate for everybody in the house Mm -hmm. and dad probably ate first and the fact that you put you fix your plate before you fix his plate was a problem to him Mm -hmm. because this is what he learned in his household um i just think that a lot of abusive individuals is a learned behavior it's what they see happen Mm -hmm. to either them or their the other person, the mom or the dad in the household. And I keep saying that because women abuse as well. Mm-hmm. Um, did any given time, you said you think his family knew, what did, did they ever come talk to you? Did, <laughs> did they ever try and help? Did they ever try to help? Absolutely. He had one cousin, um, and that's where I was about to get into that mm-hmm. incident. So um, the bags were packed, and to piggyback on what you said, Miss Braxton, it was a learned behavior. When I finally got out of the situation, I found out that his dad did it to his mom. Mm-hmm. So, um, on one instance when I had to go home with him, and I say had, like I use these types of words because in these situations, whether it's male or female, mm-hmm. sometimes you really are given no other choice. It's either do what I say or become so close to losing your life every time. And that's what it... Um, ended up being every situation became more and more life-threatening at the time like I used to have like these crazy asthma attacks because like my breath would just be taken away from me that much 
and the asthma pumps that I did have, he would take them wow. and watch me have the asthma attacks. So um went home with him that weekend or one weekend and we went to the library to use the computers because I had an assignment to do. Mm-hmm. I logged into my Facebook because he would take my phones and break them. Every phone that I ever had while in this relationship, mm. he would break them to cut off my communication and ties from the outside world. Mm-hmm. To isolate me a little more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my high school friends poked me. I-, I wasn't allowed to have guy friends because guys... Like, jealousy. Yeah. Very one of your red yeah. flags. Insecurity. Yeah. And a red flag. that a red flag. Ignored, jealousy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we leave the library. You know, I think nothing of it. Didn't even think he saw that the guy mm-hmm. messaged and poked me. Mm-hmm. As soon as we get outside of the library, I'm knocked upside my head and I'm on the floor, or on the ground, excuse me. And he stands over me and starts, like, choking me and everything. And cars are riding by. It's a small little town. Cars are riding by. Like, I know people are seeing. I know people see me crying, you know, screaming. You know, all of that. No one does anything. They just watch. So finally, we walked back to one of his aunt's house, and I'm trying to find a phone because I remembered my mom's cell phone number. That's the only number that I remembered in my head. So I'm trying to find a phone to call my mom, and when I start doing that, he starts to panic, and it's like, it's like he kind of like comes back to like reality, like, oh, he just did this. No, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, don't leave, don't leave, you know, all of that. So... Finally, we his cut one of his cousins come and comes and she pl- puts me in the car, and we go to her uh, mom's house, and she calls my mom and my mom had to come get me that weekend and by the time my mom came and got me, okay. by the time my mom came and got me, my face was like, I mean she could recognize me but my face was so like just. It was ugly, like, and that's the only word I can think of, like, my eyes were, like, my eyes were really bad messed up, my lip was busted, and my sister actually pulled up in the car, and my mom had to stop her, because she was about to run him over with the car. I would, too. Like, I would, too. <laughs> so, I run out, I, like, I jet out of the house, and I get in the car, and, like, the ride home was just silent, and... They asked me, you know, finally, when I'm ready to talk. Because, like, I sat in silence for, I sat in silence for a, a, a good day or two. Like, I just, I was just, like, what the, you know. Because at that point, you're processing. You're, pro- like, at the beginning of your your dialogue, you said something about the red flags is there. And then you have to think about all the red flags. Mm-hmm. That day or two, you took your time to process, did I really take myself through all the these different things when I seen the red flags. You named so many. You talked about the insult. You talked about the belittling. You said the blaming of other people. Mm-hmm. You talk about the isolation. You named half of you said it's still fear in you. You talked about punishing you and you, you wanted to spend time away. You talked about like the top five of the red flags. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned jealousy, mm-hmm. being submissive, doing these type of things. That day or two, you had to process it. But where did you go from that day or two? Um, once I got you know myself kind of sorted together, and mm-hmm. I told my mom and my sister all about it, um, I went back to school. My mom, um, she would take time off from work to come stay with me, you know, to make sure things That's were good. Support. But yes. of course, she had to go back to work eventually. Mm-hmm. Whole time, he had to have obviously been watching my house. Um, yeah. Wow. 
So he um, waited till mom left and then mm-hmm. came back around. And my roommates left. And I, I would tell them, like, you know, don't let anyone in my house, like, period. Did any no time you called the police? I did. I had a lot of police reports, but I had so much fear instilled in me because this person, like, tried to take my life every time he put his hands on me that I, w- I was so scared. I would, I would drop the charges because it's just like... And a lot of people would call you stupid for doing that, but you can't really judge the situation until you're in it. When you have a person that has that much control over your life and they strip you of every single thing, they become your brain. They become the person who thinks for Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So they tell you to drop the charges or else you're going to drop the charges. I always tell the students now, like I I use this analogy all the time, I always tell them to put their hand in front of their face. And when you put your hand in front of your face and just have your hand just way out, you can see everything. I can see everything. But once I put my hand close to my face, because now my hand is directly in my face, I can't see anything. So it's almost like when you go window shopping. You go window shopping. You, me as a person, I can see everything I want. But until I get into that store and try that outfit on, oh, now this don't fit for me. You're in the trenches of it, and we're not. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for someone on the outside looking in to tell you you're stupid, to tell you you're dumb, to tell you to do what you have to do. But you're thinking survival. Absolutely. At the end of the day, you have you're going to fight or I'm going to flee or I'm going to survive. And the entire time you're going through a survival mode. Because if I leave, where am I going? And I tell a lot of my adults that I talk to on a regular basis is, Who's going to help me? Because it's easy for me to say, leave. But when a month is have went by, are you going to still be there? Are you going to still be that voice for me that you claim you're going to be? And a lot of times with our students, it's hard for that. And they feel that way from administration that we're not backing them. Because we, we start the process and then we forget about you. We, we can't do that. When it comes to a domestic violence or a sexual assault incident, we cannot just forget about it because you need that support continuously. Mm-hmm. You know, you have people that are still dealing with you. You're sitting here now, you know, shaking and nervous about you telling a story that happened years ago mm-hmm. that you still deal with the trauma. Now, I think when the support has to be there, um, the bystander intervention has to be there, especially on campus. We have situations that we watching these things happen and we won't get involved. A lot of times we don't get involved too because we're thinking like, do I have to fight this person because he beating up somebody? Or do I run? Or what do I do? At the end of the day, we're not asking you to jeopardize your life to intervene. But it's Everybody has that phone in their hand all day long. Mm-hmm. It is so easy to call 5411. You call 911 anywhere on this campus, they're going to come. And then they're going to let police know that they're on this campus. Uh-huh. So you don't have to call 5411. Most of us know 911. That's easy. Right. You need to, we need to call though. We had situations on this campus that happened that young lady was thrown like a car length. And people stood in the parking lot and watched her. Watched that happen. We didn't even know what happened until the hospital called us, and we called ourselves a family mm. on this campus. Right. We have to do better. Absolutely. We have to do better. Now, a question for you, because um, you know, certain um, survivors and, and victims, they feel like it's their fault. 
did you like feel like it was your fault? Like you you did something you don't know what you did to make him feel that way and do those actions? Every day, every day I would ask myself like, okay, well, or I would tell myself, okay, well, if you do this, you know, X, Y, Z, then you might make it through today without making him mad. So like, it's to answer your question, it's just something that you always put in your head, like to walk on eggshells, to walk the fine line and make sure you do everything that that person says so that they don't hit you, you know? Um, another thing that he did to be like super controlling over me, um, he would try to trap me mm. and I know I've heard a lot of situations from, you know, my guy friends where, you know, women try to trap them, mm-hmm. you know, with a child. Mm. So that was his way of trying to keep me. Obviously it's something that his dad more than likely did, you know? So the it happened twice um all the other times i would you know take you know proper procedures to like can or what's the word prevent it from happening but two times it did end up happening the first time he forced me to get rid of my baby so that really really took a toll on me because it's like this person literally can force me to create a life for one so it the sex began to be come unwanted mm-hmm. so essentially it became great right. but mm-hmm. i i couldn't get away like i i wasn't as you know big as i was i was 135 you know i weighed 135 pounds like <laughs> i wasn't as you know big as i am now um so he did that and then he would hold that over my head oh well you know that's a sin da 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 Okay, but you made me do it. Like, what? The second time, um, to backtrack at the beginning when I spoke on the part where he body slammed me on concrete, I lost the baby because of that. Mm. Wow. So that took an emotional toll on me. And because of the whole situation as a whole, like, I do. I suffer from PTSD. Mm-hmm. I have days where I wake up and I'm just, I'm so just upset and I go through these crying spells. I go through these isolation spells where I can't or physically don't want to be around people because it triggers me. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel trapped all over again. And it's okay. It's all right. In the process of that, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have friends and a lot of sisters on this campus mm-hmm. who understand when I'm having that day and I have to be around people, if you see me crying, Please don't run up to me because mm-hmm. when you do, it's like it, it's a, it's a, a waterfall. It's a yeah. yeah, and it triggers me. Like I, I literally start shaking because mm-hmm. I'm so distraught. Like you just have to give me my time. You have to let me process it out. You have to let me breathe because um, I, I noticed from the situation, um, I don't even cry the same. It really literally alters all these different small mm-hmm. things about you. Right. I have these days where I wake up and I'm mean as heck. I'm mean as heck. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry. I'm mean as heck and I can't explain why. Like, I'm just so angry. Mm-hmm. And then I have to mentally check myself all the time. Like, gee, that's not you. That's not you at all. Like, I, before that situation, 24-7, a bubbly person. Loved to be around people mm-hmm. 24-7. So, mm-hmm. the bubbly part that everyone always sees mm-hmm. that I show... That is you. That's me. That's mm-hmm. the real me. But yeah. be altered me from the situation 
is the traumatized and angry and moody, you know, person. Yeah. Like, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's... Do you still attend counseling or therapist? Yes and no. Okay. So, I have, um... I like to do a lot of natural things. Mm-hmm. So I have mm-hmm. where I write poems. Mm-hmm. That helps calm me down. Okay. That helps get me back on track. I pray. I read my Bible. Mm-hmm. I draw. I, I do all these different little things. I work out. Like, mm-hmm. I love to work out. I've always loved sports. So, like, I'll go work out like crazy. Like, when I have these days, mm-hmm. usually the next day, and I kid y'all not, I don't know where I get the energy from, but I will run or I will work out for like three hours at a time mm. because I have so much to get out. Right. And after that, I'm good. Okay. Literally, I'm just, I'm perfect. Like, I'm back to me. So, um... When, when you were, um, like, counsel, um, doing counseling and stuff, how was that? Like, how was the, you, or when was that, that I guess, initial time you, you felt like you were safe and you were okay to you know, say how you're feeling and, and talk about what you went through? I honestly didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't... Not that I didn't feel comfortable, but it's like you constantly feel like you're being judged, you know? That's a feeling that never goes away. Like, you mm-hmm. feel like if you talk about it, people are going to judge you. And then... If you talk about it and you forget certain details to justify why you chose to take the action that you chose, or a lot of people say, well, you chose to stay, mm-hmm. it's not the case. So right. you pick and choose like who you talk to it about. Um, again, I'm very fortunate enough to have roommates that understand, you know, when I have these days, you know, let me cry and then let me talk and then I can move on like from that moment. But um when I go through that, like, I hold my breath while I cry now. And it's not something that I do on purpose. But, I li- like, they, like, the people who are around me literally have to tell me to breathe. Mm-hmm. Because I'm just, I'm living through the trauma all over again on those mm-hmm. days. I'm going through every little piece, every little detail, every little guilty feeling that I feel from staying. I'm going through it. And I have to be told to breathe because, like, it's just, like... I don't even know how I do it. Like, I I don't even know how I do it. I just... So a question to both of you guys, because you're, you're students. How can you change the culture on the campus? What can you guys do? Because it's easy for myself or the Title IX coordinator, who is Ms. Howard, Dr. Whitehead, who's the Council Center um, Sexual Advocate, to come in front of you guys and tell you what to do, what to recognize, but at the end of the day, we're visitors on your campus. Mm-hmm. We go home. This is your house. This is your home. How do you change what is going on on your campus? Um, well, I think, well, first of all, it starts with the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's this, an ugly conversation. It's, it's, it's an ugly conversation, but it needs to be talked about because lives are at stake. Mm-hmm. Lives are at stake. There are people's children are being harmed by people their age that they see as peers. What? Mm-hmm. And it's like so many times, like we barely hear these these situations. I, mean, I guess because of um, 
you know, discretion and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. People not wanting to um, have their business out there or be embarrassed of the situation. Mm-hmm. But, That's another thing. That's but, another feeling. But it's like you have to understand that it's it's not their fault mm-hmm. and it, it's not their choice to be into it and they're fighting for their life, mm-hmm. i.e. you. Mm-hmm. So it, it starts with the conversation and we just have to really sit down and understand like, like we have to talk about it and get through it. It won't it won't be fixed overnight. It's not. But it takes baby steps so people can understand what other people are going through. Because mm-hmm. I, I was never in a abusive, mm-hmm. you know, relationship or anything like that. But I've heard countless stories and it always makes me upset because it's like, why, 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 why? Mm-hmm. Just why? And I for me, especially like with in regards to men, black men, what makes you, you hitting a woman doesn't make you a man, mm-hmm. and vice versa, because mm-hmm. it's it's on both sides. It's on both sides. Mm-hmm. But it's just like what, who gives you the authority to put your hands on somebody else and control them when you have no control over your own self? Mm-hmm. And I do realize with you guys' generation that, and I'm gonna say. I was raised that way too. Sometimes we ignore the red flags, especially when it comes to physical abuse, mm-hmm. because we are taught early on, someone hit me, hit me, hit you back. So I'm gonna hit you back. So for a while you're thinking, no, he, I'm good because he hit me, I'm gonna hit him back. Mm-hmm. Or she hit me, I'm gonna hit, hit her back. Mm-hmm. Not knowing that the person that claimed they love you is not supposed to hit you every day. Mm-hmm. Like why, eventually you have to think, why is this person hitting me every day? So once we break the cycle of this is acceptable, because mm-hmm. it's not acceptable, mm-hmm. I think we would get somewhere. Once we get our students, get the students to realize that this, is, this behavior is not acceptable anywhere, um, I think it would be better. But it's going to take you guys as students to lead that charge. Because we can do it, but you guys thinking... It's their job to do it. Mm-hmm. No, some of us do care a lot, but we need you guys to be able to take, take it and go. Mm-hmm. You know, they see something, say something. That don't mean say something to that person who being who is abusing. That means say something to somebody, someone on this campus to get them help. To get them help. Sometimes it helps get turned down because I remember you came to me before because she recognized the signs. Mm-hmm to get help for someone. And that person denied to the end of the world that she needed help. Eventually that person came back and realized that she needed help. Mm-hmm. Because it's how we go about doing it. We'll get angry. That person was even angry with you mm-hmm. for telling me that she needed help. I don't need help. This is not what's happening. And then later on we find out that's what's happening. That's what's happening. But sometimes it's hard to face fact that you need help. I might can't help you because we're not as close or we're not friends, but I, I see it because it happened to me. Mm-hmm. I think um, the awareness, the education piece, the prevention piece, we do that enough. But now the action piece have to take, you guys have to take action in order for the, this conversation to be held. Mm-hmm. Y'all have a lot of turn up parties and all of that stuff. This conversation need to happen as well. And unfortunately, it's one of those things that's going to be super hard, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, because 
from being observant on social media and, you know, just listening to people as, you know, you walk on the yard, a lot of our generation fetishizes the fact that, oh, I want a mean boyfriend. Oh, I want a mean girlfriend. Right. I don't want my boyfriend or girlfriend nice. Right. I, I don't need, yeah, I don't need no friendly mm-hmm. person because then they're going to be flirting with everybody. That's a red flag. Mm-hmm. I actually had a guy trying to talk to me. And all he would post on social media is about how his girl, if he has one, can't talk to no other guys. If they're walking together and she mm-hmm. speaks to another guy, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I DM'd him because he DMs me a lot. I DM'd him. I said, you need to get help. I said, that's a problem. You might not see it, but that's, that's a problem. I tried to, from going through that situation, I try to educate people a lot mm-hmm. on it. Especially if I see, especially if like, I'm cool with them and I see that they hold certain characteristics. If it's wrong, I'm going to tell you it's wrong. So I told him, you need to get help because that's not a proper way to think. Your significant other should be able to be comfortable enough to speak to her friends Mm -hmm. in front of you rather than hide away like you're her only friend. That's not okay. What was his response? No, I'm not. And I'm like... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, uh, an example like that, I was on Twitter and a, a close, um, I call him my, my son, um, he was he was saying, like, oh, if he was in a relationship, you know, he would want, you know, an uh, aggressive girl. Or, I see. Or, I see that too. And I was just like, yo, that's not cool mm-hmm. at all. At all. You think you want I it until you have, have it. it. And mm-hmm. once you have it, you just like, Oh shoot! Uh, <laughs> nah, I this ain't get it. Out. Like, yo, this not it. <laughs> and it's just like we have to we have to think about what we say first of all, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some of the say, some of the things that we think about it might sound good and all that, but mm-hmm. then once we actually say it and people really listen, it's just like, are you are you serious? Like, is that what you want in life? Mm-hmm. And it ties back into educating people on mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. because. <clears throat> It's just like, it's one of those things where they think it's cute, and it's not. It's not cute to have someone physically abuse you, emotionally abuse you, mentally abuse you every single day or every other day, however, you know, the pattern may happen. It's not okay, and a lot of people don't know that because they've never been placed in those situations. Like, it's it's just not okay, and they just need to be educated a lot more. They think it's funny, or it's adorable right. and it's like no it's not, it's not. No, that's not. so I guess from from what we learned um, first of all thank y'all so much because this we, we needed this talk um, and I'm glad that you were here and brave enough to tell your story because your story could save many people's lives because mm-hmm. you're not the only one Mm-mm. that that is in this at all on campus off campus in in the country in the world um, so thank you so much. <clears throat> um, thank you for having me. Thank you, Ms. Braxton, um, for, you know, saying the information that we need to hear. Um, do you want to, you know, say where you are, who to speak to if they're going through domestic yes. violence? Um, I would advise everybody, um, Dr. Whitehead is your sexual advocate on campus, mm-hmm. and she's in Memorial Hall on the fourth floor. You have Ms. Howard, who's your tight and out coordinator. Okay. Um, and with these type <laughs> crimes, domestic violence, sexual assault, um, Title IX is very important. Um, we honestly have to um, deal with any case that comes to our office. Um, so she's located in Virginia Hall. Um, I am located in Foster Hall, room 301. Um, 
I have many students to come see me. They can come see me whenever they want. They feel comfortable, and I would direct them to where they need to go. Um, I just let them know that it is support on campus. Um, you just need to find that person that you trust and be able to have that conversation with them. And just hold and hold them accountable. You know, hold them accountable for that um, to assist you in anything you need. But yeah, just want to give a little tidbit. We only had 18 cases since 2018, and that's August 2018 wow. to now March 20th. Um, 18 cases of type which domestic violence and sexual assault falls on a tighter nine. So we had 18 cases. So that's think 18 people that's on this campus that. And probably more because we don't report it like we should. Mm -hmm. That's on this campus dealing with these situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to say if there is anyone out there who does, you know, listen or is listening to this and you would like to talk to me to get more info on my story or just talk to me to ask how you two, you know, can get out, um, you can definitely contact Ezra or Miss Braxton and have them reach out to me and then. We can exchange info that way. Absolutely. So um, I guess from today, learning everything, what well, are three things that we could take from it is that, you know, to be educated, mm -hmm. get the information that you need. Um, if you see something, say something. Yes. And also remember to just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. be afraid. You cannot be afraid because if you're afraid, you know, you're you're putting yourself in, in worse jeopardy. Um, so with that being said, just want to thank you all so much for listening. Um, and just simply have a beautiful day. See you later. <laughs>